Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there, and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And it's episode 105, and this is being recorded in um, Alcohol Awareness Week. And so we thought we would kind of um, talk a little bit about this, this, the theme of this year, which is mental health and alcohol. Um, and so, yeah, we always uh, check check in at the beginning. So, hi, Kate, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I'm better. Well, we tried to record this this morning and had to abort, didn't we? Because... We did. um, we didn't even attempt. Oh, <laughs> we we aborted before starting. Do you want to do it? No, not really. You, no. <laughs> <laughs> but now, um, now that the you know, I've got my son off school after a really difficult start. Um, yeah, I can uh, I can engage my brain a bit. Yeah, I'm so yeah, I'm all right. I've been doing lots of reading, and it's really rainy, and I just feel like that. Feel sort of very grateful that. I can stay in when it's horrid outside and I also feel I'm having a moment of gratitude right I feel grateful to the internet (laughs) because I've been doing low I feel grateful to YouTube because I've been watching loads of videos and not just like not like dancey videos but think like you know Gabal Mate's interviews and James Clear and you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I'm re- refreshing my memory on some of the stuff. But, I mean, that's amazing just to be able to have that resource, isn't it, to have that access to that. And also... Yeah, it's um, true. It's something we take for granted, isn't it? We mm. don't even think about it, but you can learn so much yeah. free. Mm. Well, it, for a, a nominal price. It's really nothing is free. About, yeah. you know, like going to university and sort of sitting in lectures and then having to go to the secondhand bookshop and just read loads of books and then sit in lectures and everything. And it really is like the university of life is just there on kind of YouTube, isn't it? You know what I mean? Mm. It's amazing. It's amazing. So that is my um, my moment of gratitude. Well, oh, well I never. I know. <laughs> uh I am yeah I'm all right I'm all right as well I'm a bit tired funnily enough Mm. um but yeah I'm all right I'm a little I think I'm a little bit thoughtful about this subject Mm. I think it's quite a motive subject for me so um but other than that yeah 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 yeah, just ticking along, dude. Ticking yeah, along. yeah. So, oh. so mental illness. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> our own mental health journeys. Yeah, and I've been thinking about this today because I've been looking <laughs> in my University of YouTube. <laughs> I was looking at again at polyvagal theory and um, nervous system regulation and trauma healing as you do on a on a what day is it Wednesday rainy Wednesday Wednesday. but um I I've I I have had a bit of an emotional day because literally watching Gabon Mate made me cry because I was like wow you you have a huge compassion like that man is hugely hugely compassionate and brilliant and um 
Yeah, and I was just like, wow, you know, he's very articulate as well. Really cut through a lot of the stuff about, you know, obviously, if I mean, sure, people listening in know Gabal Mate, but he's um, he's a doctor and he uh, Canadian based um, and studies addiction, but he very much looks at it in terms of coming from the traumatized place um, and and a response to pain, which I guess links in a bit with the the mental health piece as well right so much of the time so it's one of these it's one of these pieces in the jigsaw when we find ourselves with maladaptive relationship with alcohol or addictive behaviors there is this element of of pain that we are trying to kind of fix or cope with or make ourselves feel better because we want to feel better so I guess that's a a reasonable segue into you know talking about what we're going to talk about yeah, it's interesting just to pick up on that because it um, there was a bit of a debate going on about this on Instagram yesterday because there was a quote saying something like, you know, it, you know, all under all addiction is 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 pain or something. It, that was not the exact quote. Um, and William Porter, who you know is great for no nonsense chat. Mm. <clears throat> excuse me was like obviously for a lot of people it is but let's let's not forget that if you locked someone in a room with alcohol for you know a period he didn't say this don't do not quote but this was like what the gist was you know for for a period of time with a lot of alcohol they would get addicted because it's an addictive substance and it's like we talk about cigarettes and it's like there's there doesn't have to be any backstory to cigarettes it's just like oh I smoked loads of cigarettes over a long period of time and then I got addicted to cigarettes and we tend to yeah miss that it it, miss that out with alcohol yeah so it is for a lot of people there are lots of different stories but there's so many interconnecting pieces about why you develop problematic relationships with a substance but I guess it is that thing of just like well sometimes we search and we search and we search Mm. and it's like and it's that kind of like well I'm not that bad or well I don't have that or I haven't had that so you know I'll keep moderating or keep it in my life and it's like it's an addictive substance that's the that's the 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 yeah a big part of it so I thought that was interesting because I obviously my story has got pain and Mm. darkness and all sorts of parts in it Um, and sometimes I forget to bring it back to that sort of level of just like yeah when you compare it to cigarettes it's like we tell whole different stories about it and it's like well they're both addictive substances yeah there's an an inherent uh, addictive a component in certain substances isn't that 100 and there's the frequency of exposure there's a kind of you know there's a scientific formulaic you know Mm. this amount times this amount will will increase and I think it's like the more I think it's the layers thing and that's what the, the the thing that's good to remember it's like you know anyone can get addicted to anything And then it's just about layers, isn't it? It's like, well, how quickly does the, you know, does it release dopamine to the brain? Like, obviously, with hard drugs like, you know, crack cocaine or heroin, it's mm. extremely quick to 
to get that dopamine hit into the brain. So it's much more, more quickly addictive, whereas alcohol, you know, takes maybe two hours for it to get into the bloodstream and have that dopamine hit. So it's mm. slower. Um, you know, gambling is a behavioral addiction. But so all those things. And then if you start to add on the layers of ad adverse childhood experiences or trauma or um mental health anxiety depression all these Stress. different layers it's like the, the the yeah the likelihood and the the, the chance that you are going to develop problems gets bigger i yeah. guess but yeah. no one is immune i suppose that's the yeah thing. and then and also that piece about alcohol about cigarettes about you know other drugs as well there's another piece in terms of 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 how they are viewed in society and therefore how the user is vilified. So are they addictive? Are they, I mean, are they legal? Are they not legal? That's yeah. one aspect. Is it worshipped or is it not worshipped? And in our society, alcohol is worshipped. So you've got like, okay, if you're going to have a problem with that, you are going to have a different cultural narrative than if it's cigarettes, which are now hated. So that's all fine. So there's no shame, you know, and it is, it's with that, isn't it? Like you say, it's so complex but and at that at the bottom is is that person who is knowing somehow that this is not not working yeah and that's the that's the most and fundamental question is like does it make me happy in the long term yeah yes or no is it taking away more than it gives yes or no you know, does it make me happy? Does it cause me shame? You know, those questions. It's like all the other stuff is details. And I mean, we were talking about it this morning, weren't we, about our families? We won't go into details. But when you start talking about families, I think everyone kind of assumes, well, you don't know what what happens in other people's families, do you? So until you get married, you don't have any real insight into int sort of intimate detail of a, a, another family. And you kind of just think, well, that's how families are. And then you talk and you're like, oh, I didn't realise my family was quite strange or quite different or just we've all got our own stories, you know. So now it's queer as folk. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> all, all families have just, just got their, you know, incredible stories. And some of those stories are positive and you know successful and some of those stories aren't and but everyone's got stories and yeah that that all kind of adds up doesn't it to your own your own experiences I suppose anyway yeah. roundabout way of saying yes mental health is part of part of the picture yeah and I know definitely for me that I was really um yeah I shifted in my perspective so what I had to do to stop drinking I mean I think that I was in a period of you know um depression you know low mood depression anxiety which was becoming massively exacerbated by alcohol use you know we, I've spoken about it before with you know once I was at home with my two young children my husband was out at work i wasn't getting out of just all of my coping strategies all of my identity was not there <laughs> and so it was like okay I have no freaking tools in this toolkit um you know can't get out can't do this can't do that can't you know 
and and that was that but then what happened was so I really needed to make I couldn't cope with any kind of complication or other factors so I know definitely in my first that first year of sobriety I just made a, a alcohol enemy number one and it was like I'm fucking fine that is the problem and no one's going to tell me there's anything wrong with me because that is the problem and essentially it was that was the biggest that was the number one that was like the first thing that really needed sorting out I couldn't sort the other stuff out while I was still drinking so I was right but I was like you you know the kind of I was going to say the duck who protests too much there is no parable about a duck that protests too much. <laughs> I'm sure there's one there's sure there's some kind of parable somewhere but she does protest too much is that what you <laughs> get so, your ducks um, and your Shakespeare mixed up so it was very very confronting to me <clears throat> and also whenever so when I went back to drinking after that first 13 months basically my story was oh I just fancied it I'm sure that'll be fine I'll just have a glass of shampoo Actually, what I had was a stomach ulcer. I had burnout. I had massive anxiety. Um, and I was super, super, super stressed. And then when anyone ever said to me, oh, well, I think it's something to do, you know, you, you there's some some mental mental health issue there, I'd get really defensive and go, there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> like, I was really, really angry about it. Because actually what I was trying to say is all of that stuff I've tried before, of counselling and therapy and da, 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 was not the right tool. And it really wasn't so... There's a lot of, <clears throat> there was, for me, there was just a lot of fear, I guess. And it was only well, bringing yeah. that kit together and the self-care and the the looking for, what I understand now is kind of nervous system healing for trauma. Like I get it now, but everyone was talking about that. Oh, well, why don't you go and fucking have counselling again and talk about your daddy issues again? I'm like, I've done that. Don't yeah. make do that so it's not always those you know even when we can say okay I've got I know there's something but those received traditional kind of pathways might not be the, the answer you're looking for you know so it's quite hard well I think it's two things there isn't it it's because you know you were trying to move away from there's something wrong with me you know so it's this 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 rhetoric that was getting battered at at us and still is quite prevalent you know of it being a disease and you know it there being something wrong with us it was like you know fuck that shit it's, it what's wrong with is alcohol and alcohol is a depressant and alcohol is a poison and you know and that's I don't want that in my system it's not about me it's about what that thing does to me which is 100% true yeah. you know and so it's that thing of like flipping it because it's not like because what happens and this is certainly my experience and I think where a lot of people get sort of caught up or get tripped up or whatever is like well if I can fix me yeah, then, then I, can I drink. Can drink yeah you know it's like right and and also that kind of bitterness and I had a lot of this you know it's like well I don't want to be unwell I don't want to have trauma I don't want to be depressed and 
so it makes it feel very unfair it's like well it's just not fair and I want to be normal and all those things that are kind of connected and again then it alcohol gets put on a pedestal of like well if I can fix me if I can make myself normal if all of this can go away then ah the elixir of life you know I I can drink alcohol like a normal person so it's that it, like I understand why you fought for that and that's why we still you know it is because no matter what happens and this is my experience is alcohol makes it worse yeah yeah and once it's soured it's soured that's the other yeah. thing is it's like okay there is no fixing and then such I mean there's fixing and then hooray we're sober yeah but that I I don't you know in my experience it was never nothing was ever made better by and we tested it right we went backwards yeah. and forwards for 18 months or whatever it was two years trying to fix everything and it's like no it just basically you know let's bl- lay the blame at, at the right door which is alcohol is nukes all your neurotransmitters makes you feel absolutely horrendous and once you have once that's that's there once you have crossed that that line it's it's just never what what you're looking for is lost and we always say that it's it's Mm. lost that's what William Porter's really good at like that came from his book didn't it it was like oh I will never be a happy carefree drinker never never Never. I might not be falling over drunk but I'll never be happy and carefree and get that woohoo dopamine hit that I got when I was a teenager never never no, because it's what well, a it's like you don't want it because your your priorities have changed. You know, you're an adult. You've got responsibilities. You're not a teenager anymore, yeah. so you're not actually seeking the same thing. And and to like, you've got too much knowledge. It's like it it damages your brain. Like it it not only numbs your brain, it damages your brain. So it's like it is a classified as a depressant so it's making it worse so it's like well well I'm not gonna do something that's gonna make myself feel worse like how can I yeah get myself better and keep feeding myself in a positive way and it's interesting because I was reading a little a little bit about forgiveness and shame this morning um, because it's the topic of our call tonight is forgiveness and I think so much of, of, you know, what happens with people with, with drinking problems is that perpetual kind of narrative that we can't forgive ourselves, you know, that like, that for, by forgiving yourself is letting yourself off the hook, you know, and it's like the only way to learn is to, is to be judgmental. Mm. And um, yeah, the only and I way to control that, it is with fear and that, and the move away from you know. Yeah, and and it's so interesting because like drinking and mental health and all those things they feed into that narrative of like I'm I do things wrong, therefore I should be punished. Mm-hmm. And like when you start to forgive yourself and say, like. And also just that, you know, to accept, well, I do struggle a bit, you know, so I forgive myself. Then you can kind of feed that 
self-esteem and that can help you to help yourself I suppose so you kind of you identify and you know of having kind of anxiety and Mm. have had depression depressive periods I suppose you would say yeah but it was definitely much more on the anxious side for me um and what does it feel like like what does it feel like in your body to be an anxious person like what happens to you it's it there were two I mean it it's very it's changed quite a lot so as a kid I was I had like a OCD so my mind I became very overthinking so what I would do was just to I was very religious wasn't I? I've said about this before I, I used to count my sins and then I just have to pray for a couple of hours at night trying to absolve myself and to and then that that took on a, a darker term where I felt that if I denied myself anything that I wanted that would make me closer to God and then I wouldn't get punished. And then every time I did something that I that wasn't that wasn't perfect in the day, I would get incredibly anxious, but I I called it guilt. Like I didn't have a word for anxiety when I was a kid. So I just basically was was I don't I mean it's that's a long time ago, but that was very much like I was in a fearful kind of state. I was constantly fidgeting biting my nails, um, never sitting comfortably in my skin, that kind of thing. I do now think there's, that was a neurodiverse stuff as well for sensory overload. I, I now, because of my son. Um, as an adult, I think this that the, the actual, because I used to exercise pretty much compulsively and that made me feel really good and on it and in control. That was a massive strategy. So when I was anxious, what it would feel like was that my brain would start to whir and that I had obsessive thoughts. I couldn't get off the loop. I just couldn't get off a loop, a loop, a loop, a loop, a loop. And it to the point where I had a nervous breakdown at university because I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't think straight. And it was all on a loop all the time. Um, and then I got very busy and distracted, like I said, and then I just used to kind of drink, you know, recreationally all the way up to, to being in my, in my thirties and early forties. So I think the most significant, and then I had CBT really helped because it was about, I, I realized when I did CBT that that um she said oh I, I finally sort of spoke about this this thing because I just thought I, if I opened that door it would take over and that I would just be in there and I would that was it I just I couldn't it was so unbearable to be in that compulsive maddening kind of mental state so she said well do you think it's safe to say that there's you were a bit obsessive <laughs> which makes me really laugh now and she didn't say with any kind of judgment and I went Oh, fuck I was like of course I was obsessive I was like mm. I was I had an obsessive compulsive thing because I thought that was just called thinking I didn't know I thought that was me I had no idea that I was behind the thought and the thought had to be but I had no idea so that was like a key learning for me it was like oh okay and and then so my uh, CBT strategies with that a, a distract you just force quit and then you and then you realize you're not in the thinking loop anymore but obviously that didn't sort out the drinking aspect yeah. more recently I'd say is 
since um, my sister-in-law died and that because I I went into some kind of trauma um, state at the after the at the funeral and during the wake um, we had a big panic attack didn't we? I had I don't I can't even say it was like a panic attack because for me panic attacks before may have been 20 minutes or something mm. this was like a sustained immobilization of my entire body and system and brain for about four hours where I couldn't get up I couldn't go to the toilet I couldn't really speak I couldn't do anything I think I went into freeze and submit probably it wasn't even fight flight it was beyond that it was like everything shut down um and then so I've had echoes of that recently whenever I've like when I think about going to a funeral like and I realize now that there must be some kind of trauma response with that and so you know like some kind of I don't know if that is kind of PTSD sort of thing where um yeah so when I have to do public speaking I feel like I'm going to faint or um yeah I feel dizzy I feel like I'm gonna faint I feel like I've left my body so it's a kind of a dissociative experience that I have which I'm only just starting to work with um so that's so you know it's really interesting and I have layers and I have years of experience of working with this and I do a shit ton of meditation and yoga I work somatically all the time I know my staff and interestingly that that piece of right life can be impactful and something can happen to you and it can kick off and it can then that can you know can really make you vulnerable to well I mean yeah so that's the the next question isn't it it's like so how do you how did I guess how did alcohol um work and then not work um and and then how do you um manage it now like what are your strategies for managing that anxiety? I think that you know alcohol immediately put a blanket on that anxiety social anxiety as a kid um I think it stopped working when there were negative consequences in my 20s when I realized that I had I did have an issue with it I remember I think I've said before I, I got a job in Germany on a magazine and I I didn't know anyone and I had a beautiful flat and I you know I was very excited to be there but I didn't know anyone and I was really bored and and it was actually like I don't think the internet being invented right? I actually think it was it was that nineties, it was just when the internet was happening, right? <laughs> so I couldn't even watch telly and I went to the bookshop and they were all bloody German and I was like, what am I gonna do with myself? And I realised that I ended up drinking a bottle of wine on my own every night, sitting in this beautiful flat in Germany going, I fucking I'm really bored. And then that was like, ah, oh, and I remember thinking that I'm not using this to go out and have a good time I remember that bit of sort of awareness coming in of like "Mm, that doesn't that's not great is it Kate that's not so good um so and then I think you know the next bit was definite oh I started to have paranoias about it wasn't like I would black out but it was like I started to have anxiety about what if something had happened to me and I didn't know about it so I used to imagine things that could have gone wrong. And I went to the doctor once uh, and asked her to check me to see if I'd been assaulted because I couldn't remember my way home. Um, 
and it was like she sat me down she said that's a really horrible kind of thing to think you know are you all right and I was like no and then so then I gave up drinking for like two weeks or something you know what I mean it started to have Mm. horrible horrible mental um it would haunt me it would really haunt me and undermine that that sort of sense of stability and so I always think I think I had as well from my childhood sort of trauma um I was I had sort of of psychological you know cruelty I would say as a teenager from my stepfather and as a result I didn't trust my thoughts I didn't trust how I thought I did couldn't I just had no belief so I was constantly checking outside all the time so I think it played into that thing about I can't trust my own thoughts I can't trust what I think Mm. I have no idea who I am what I think um so it was a very fractured self it was a fucking mess to be honest whilst being a successful journalist successful for children lovely house amazing husband blah 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 isn't you know and me keeping up the pretense I was like a broken shell of a person and it's like and I did not want to say that because I was like no I'm fine because if I say that everything is going to come tumbling down everything that I've built will mean nothing and I will feel full of shame and self-hatred and I won't be able to cope and that's what it was like and then alcohol made that 25 times worse I don't actually think I've ever spoken like this (laughs) but it was like yeah it's like it was it was that it was that awful and then that self-punishment and that self-hatred and that trying to escape and then knowing that that was the wrong tool and then feeling even worse but I've only got myself to blame right because I know it's you did it yourself yeah I did it all myself and then I'd force myself to do things the next day when I was so crippled with anxiety just to because it, because I would be such a loser if I didn't do it. So, oh, the whole thing was full of self-hatred by the end, full of self-hatred. And Worst so how do you... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep it more authentic today, dude. Yeah. yeah. So how do you... Because obviously, that, I mean, you know, you spoke before about your your sister-in-law. You know, that's that's in the last couple of years so it's when you were sober you know so life doesn't stop being impactful but you don't drink and you don't crave for a drink so how have you got to that point and and what are your tools I suppose okay yeah so at the funeral I was very very angry that I just sort of saw everyone. So I was like, you know, like immobilized, but I was also kind of quite angry because the thing that I was worried about was falling apart and making it all about me and making a big show. Mm. So, and and I was very interesting when I was learning about, I remember coming, maybe it was after we sort of, you'd worked with Amanda Grace for a bit and done some of that. I, I came across this thing about keening, which was this old, you know, I, you know, again, it's like the female experience, the embodied experience, right? That there were professional mourners who, and, and, you know, you can throw yourself on the ground if you're, and cry and tear at your garments. 
like be properly biblical about it and people have done that for thousands of years right but now we're not supposed to now we've got to go to a fucking golf club drink shit loads and pretend that and raise Make a light conversation yeah well yeah so it sucked but what happens to us falling on the floor and literally wailing like fucking elephants wail don't they they have they go to their graveyard and they cry and it was like, well, I need to do that. Like I need to. So I think that there was, I've always used kind of knowledge, head knowledge. It's like, okay, let's get clever about this. And it's like, well, in this society, in this culture, they do this. So that means I'm not mad because there's evidence of it <laughs> in Papua New Guinea. Right? And I was like, so that's fine. So I sort of used a bit of that. But also, I mean, you know, I did go, I did have crew, I did go to cruise bereavement and and chat about it. I do a lot of yoga. I think I've, you know, the somatic work, the feelings of safety and connection, the whole, you know, I'm doing it now, like give yourself a butterfly cuddle and, and that kind of thing. And I, what I tend to do is give myself um, sort of proactively time to not overload my very sensitive nervous system my highly sensitive person that I am needs that kind of environment that is really careful um so yeah I mean and and drinking was never going to be an option right it just it was it was never going to be an option I and I think maybe that's just the years and the the knowledge and the habit change where it's like well yeah, I don't know. I think for me that the the why alcohol is not it wasn't an option is is um is a mind shift I had a couple of years before that unless I was going to stay permanently drunk at some point I was going to sober up and that would be really shit. So I was like, well, <laughs> it's almost like as simple as that. It's like, well, let's just be really logical about it. Yeah, it can't be drunk all the time. So. Exactly. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna want to do that, am I? So let's just like not go there. Um, so yeah, so that and then the kind of self care. I remember I got myself out there with my son. He was amazing. We wrapped ourselves up in blankets. We watched a funny film, and we drank decaf Earl Grey. And then and then knowing, I think the evidence that the dust does settle, I think is huge because then you have you know you have that evidence you know that at some point even if it's really difficult to grab it that at some point maybe two days the nervous system if you properly if you dial everything down and stop everything then it does settle and I and I have enough evidence of that at the moment so mm. yeah that's I mean there's two key points there I think you know it's it's not an option so it doesn't there's no it's not an option so you have to find other things to do and and it's that kind of evidence I suppose that this too shall pass you know and I think the other thing like knowing you and obviously knowing when you're going through anxious periods you know it's the ability to be able to say it out loud like I'm really anxious it's like name and point you know you'll say in the morning like I'm really anxious or I didn't sleep and so it's like then you can kind of sort of tread the path adapt the self-care for that yeah and just be like 
and 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 so when you're having that kind of mm. when you're when you're owning your emotional state I suppose and talking to people about it so like I'm I'm feeling really anxious then people can adapt and you know it's it becomes part of your mm. like I need to have a rest day or I need a down day or and people can then you know feedback and be like oh right like you know what do you what yeah. do you need kind you of can thing. advocate for your needs at yeah. that point and it gives others an option yeah a chance to to accommodate that and I you know I, that's interesting though because I did that I had a really stressful morning with my son like I said and I remember I'd got up and I did do some meditation um and it was about the feeling tones and noticing them coming and going and it is like not trying to change it it's just noticing I suppose it's mindful awareness and I was my husband came down was like I'm gonna lose my shit if he doesn't get out of bed and it was all like who's taking my daughter and it was all starting to kick off and I just thought to myself and put the kettle on and I thought hmm I'm feeling quite stressed (laughs) (laughs) I didn't kick off I didn't it was like I was like, right, okay, it's amazing. And so I guess that has to go in the toolkit, that meditation, that yoga practice. It's, it's basically, it's really annoying when people say that if you don't do it, but it's like, yeah. it's absolutely like 100% my like biggest tool at the, at the moment, I guess. Well, it's just finding what works for you, isn't it? It is, yeah, and it's different for everyone, yeah. yeah. I, we've just talked about me. That's <laughs> all right. You can, talk, you can ask me about me if you yeah. want no it's all right I'm, I'm off now yeah <laughs> I feel better now thanks for listening <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah so what about about you I mean because the mental health aspect for you is such a big part of your journey you've really helped me with that piece mm. massively especially the shame you know that that's yeah I mean again I mean because I I I was yeah because I was wondering about the anxiety thing because I don't I don't I think I might have a little bit of anxiety I think maybe I think it's interesting isn't it because it it's like when you start putting labels on stuff and it's like oh well I'm not that am I that oh I don't know and it's like it doesn't really matter it's just all like what you feel but certainly when I was um I certainly wasn't not sure of myself growing up like I wasn't like I don't think I was grounded in my own being of like or felt confident or anything so it was definitely kind of that weird mixture of being really loud but being really shy um and definitely like you know when we started going out I get really bad like stomach aches and stuff like that before we'd go out and I was quite anxious and get really shy around boys and um, and so drinking definitely, you know, that first was that first kind of, um, well, I was going to say it was that first kind of elixir to that balming of kind of, of anxiety, but I was never nice when I drank, like I was such a dick right from the beginning. I was, it would make me really loud, really aggressive. And even I kind of managed that sort of self-managed that when I was a teenager like I stopped drinking white wine because I identified it it made me really really aggressive um and so you know I'd only drink other drinks and then you know a lot of my kind of youth it wasn't really about drinking you know it was about sort of 
partying and all the things that go along with it, you know. Um, and so it took it took a back burner. Really, it wasn't like a focus in my twenties. Um, my sort of early twenties until I kind of met my my boyfriend's stroke husband to be um, when I was twenty. Well, yeah, I was going to say my late twenty. Well, I met him when I was twenty-two. It's like God, I did start drinking young, didn't I? Um, but yeah, and then it, you know, then wine kind of came back back into it, and I don't know. It was just it was it, it was very much an identity piece, I think, for a long time. And then, um, but I was always very serious when I was younger and silly. I was just really contradictory and quite confused about a lot of stuff I think very 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 sort of uh, fractious as a teenager Um, and everyone was having quite a difficult time so I took on a lot of everyone else's um, issues yeah I don't know and then just was felt quite rubbish about myself I think so I don't know if that was depression at that time but it just everything just was quite confusing Mm. um and then yeah and then obviously had sort of major trauma at the age of 18 which I put in a box and just you know said I was never going to talk about again um and then things sort of got really bad when I had my kids and I just I can remember sort of sitting at the table and everyone having a really nice time and like laughing and joking and just feeling like my, like I was behind a a glass wall. Like I was there, but I wasn't really there. Like I couldn't really connect to any of the, the joy that was going on. It just felt really distant Mm. and that kind of got worse, you know, and I, I just felt really bad about myself and I just didn't think I was very good at anything and yeah and the the drinking kind of went hand in hand with that it was just like I was really lonely really sort of dissatisfied with my life and myself and had huge kind of unhealed trauma that was making me not sleep uh, you know, it's really impactful in terms of my kind of relationships. Everything was just really hard work, you know, mm-hmm. to the point where I was, yeah, not, didn't really know what the point was, you know, I was pretty like sort of suicidal kind of ideation of just like, I don't really see the point, like, I don't really see why I'm here, like, I'm not really good at anything I'm not worthy like I just felt like I couldn't do anything right and then I'd just get really trashed Mm. and then I'd feel like moments of where of escape and then I'd wake up at four in the morning and just be like yeah fucking suck you know you're just Mm. the worst person to the point where I just I wouldn't look myself in the mirror I just hated my appearance like one year I think I changed my hair like about eight times it was like I went I had all these different haircuts bleached it colored it changed it like I just was trying to be something else 
um yeah and then you know obviously sort of when I started going to therapy and unpacking all that and realizing the first sort of element I had like no I needed it's interesting when we talk about like being powerless you know we were talking about this earlier weren't we Mm. about this idea of powerlessness over alcohol Mm. I certainly like felt like I was powerless over my my own mind you know and I really needed like that therapist just to be like you know what like you do you do have value like to exist Mm. and I was like do I (laughs) and I had to be led for a while of just like oh I do do I oh I have worth do I you know that those sort of things um and then yeah and then obviously I stopped drinking um because I was in this kind of phase of starting to reconnect with myself and feel like I had a bit of value and started to addressing the trauma and because I was stuck in repetitive brain patterns in the past like all the time like I would I mean I was you know massively in trauma so I would every day when I'd walk to work in the morning I'd think about what happened like 20 years Mm. ago every time I went to bed I'd think about what happened trying to like work it out whenever I saw any of my friends I'd talk about like things I'd said when we were like 16 and they'd be like Mandy why are you thinking about that and I was just like constantly stuck in this like God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Like, God, I'm such a dick. And they're like, man, you were like, we were 14. No, it's fine, you know? And I was just, I was constant. Everything was like stuck in trying to understand things and where I got to and stuff. Um, rumination, I believe it's called. Um, yeah. And so when I started, and then like, and I just got so much better, so much, so quickly you know like obviously I was going to therapy I was taking antidepressants I was starting to looking after myself but I wasn't drinking and you know and it was wonderful it was just that first year of just like getting that coming out of that hole was just amazing and then when we moved so I quit my job and was like right you know I'm gonna be a stay-at-home mom I'd made that decision of like right if I'm gonna be good at one thing I'm gonna be good at being a mom and so I yeah we I quit my job and we moved here we're gonna live by the seaside and all that sort of stuff then I was like oh man you know I can't be a non-drinker everyone think that's really weird and like I want to be with the cool kids whatever that is and start drinking again and then it's just like just just ruined me you know within a few but I just couldn't see it like as soon as I was back into drinking I just couldn't see that alcohol was the issue was the catalyst um you know and I I, I mean really really bad insomnia like I would get you know I would get up and check the the locks you know, about 15 times every night, you know, I'd sort of just start falling asleep and then I'd wake up like bolt upright and go and check all the locks of the of the house. And yeah, really, really kind of to the point where I was put on antipsychotic pills for, for insomnia because I was just, I mean, I was, I couldn't do anything. And like, and like I couldn't cook, I couldn't, I, did, I just couldn't work anything out. Like my brain had just frozen. I was just like, I don't know how to, and I just, again was just feeling so bad about everything it's just like I just can't do anything right and I can't cook I'm not a good stay-at-home mom and you know 
And all the time, I mean, you know, you ask someone on the street, no one would have known any of this. Like, it didn't outwardly look bad. I was still going to parties and making friends and do, I like joined a, like a club where I was doing charity work. You know, it was all looked fine on the outside. Just the, you know, for me and just going for walks with my husband, just going, I can't feel anything. Like, I just can't, you know, I'm back behind that wall. Um so yeah, I mean that's what depression has been like for me, just like not being able to feel anything, I suppose, is uh, mm. feeling like you're alone in a crowded room, like being with people, being everyone having fun around you and even if you're like ha ha ha, like it's just completely dead. It's like there's nothing inside. Um it's interesting what you you said about um you know about how as soon as you introduce alcohol again and it's like your deterioration happened really quickly and I know for me that it was like as soon as I reintroduced alcohol it's like all my self-care practices went out the window and it wasn't I remember reflecting back on it and going it just happens it's like I don't have any like if I put that in that all goes to shit and it became really clear that that was a yeah a fundamental part of protecting the mental health yeah and that's, and that's it and it's and you see it i mean part of the you know the, the the challenge i suppose of what being in this space you know it's amazing to be part of the sober community but you know you get those people where all of a sudden they just disappear they just completely disappear from your life. And I did that to people like time and time again, you know, people on Soberistas would be like really engaged and stuff. And then I just poof, like disappear because it just has that capacity to just change completely the trajectory of your life mm. and the way you're thinking. And that's what it would do. And I'd just be like, of course, you know, I'm a, drinker what was I thinking and it would just be that quick and I'd just be back into that whole other zone I mean it like maybe like I'd have a week mm. to play around with or whatever but very very quickly I'd just be like oh yeah you know and then having to try and get that back like reel it in and I think it is is that's why you know holistic well-being and that kind of just looking after yourself and keeping that connection and that why is like it will always be mm bad for me like it will always always and I just need to never do it again <laughs> like, do you know and I know and, and, and I was thinking about that like why you were asking me before why even when really bad things happen why alcohol was never the answer and I noticed that and again everything used to go through the negative filter but I stopped doing that um through practice and practice and lots of self-care and self-compassion work but basically sobriety gave me meaning in my life it gave me meaning and purpose and working with it gave me meaning and purpose and then through that and through talking to you and your recovery coach training and my science of happiness training I understood that that was a good thing and a valid thing so yeah it was sobriety gave me it, it was it was an anchor it when it gave me not only a kind of the presence to have a toolkit and, and, and community and connection which worked on those relational centers of the brain I can't help the fact that I am a person that really fucking needs a project 
<laughs> when I don't have a project or a passion and a reason, a burning flame and a and an yeah. Olympic torch, then I am lost. And I used to go, well, when I had therapy before, well, why do you think that is? And let's take it. It's like, it doesn't matter why that is. That's just me. I need yeah. that. That's my jam, right? And so working with that in that strength-based way, well, who actually am I? What do I need? I need a bloody cause. Now I've got yeah. one, right? <laughs> Yeah, I and I think that, and, and I no. think that's why for for so many, for so many uh, mums, you know, bringing it back to the book and and all that mm. stuff, you know, because we there is that assumption that you will be happy or you will be satisfied you or you will be. or you will yeah mm. that you will be grateful or whatever for being at home with the kids, and as much as it is wonderful it's like and you know I've got friends where they are just it is just that is their passion their absolute passion is but yeah me too there's, o- there's yeah. only one yeah we're only presented what we're, we're presented very very kind of formulaic pictures mm-hmm. of of motherhood and what it should look like you know and and I I mean I can remember sort of every time in the second period when I had my second breakdown and I was a stay-at-home mom and all all that and every time I'd go to the doctor he'd be like well you know are you working no I'm a stay-at-home mom he's like well get a job I'm like, what are you going on about but it's just like needing something else in there yeah and just and I it's so much about satisfaction for for so many people and that can look like anything but it is it's finding that fire isn't it it's finding the fire and you know it really interestingly as well because we have that that neurodiverse piece this is something my son's seen um, a psychologist recently and had a session with my daughter as well and identified that my kids both have a real narrative about themselves and what they're like and what they're into there's this identity pinning something on an external identity and then adopting it and I think I don't really understand it but there's something about and she said that's quite her words it's quite spectrumy that kind of behavior right it's quite interesting and I was like ah that makes sense of me as well always you know I thought I was going to be a missionary and then I was going to be yeah, I was going to be a nun. I was going to be a missionary. I was going to change the world. Like I always have to have, I have to have a cause. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I thought that that was something bad about me, but actually there is an element that on the neurodiverse profile, that is a thing. It is a thing. These people like us, right? People, we get shit done because we're very passionate, slightly obsessive, a bit neurodiverse quite wonky and that's wicked right that's fucking wicked but it's like okay let's start changing the narrative about that and finding that meaning you know so well it's interesting because you're saying about like you know with the funeral it's like you don't don't make a fuss you know there's that that element it's like or or again when I was talking about shame earlier it's that thing of like if you forgive yourself for your past mistakes like then you're letting yourself off the hook you know like then there's there's all those kind of external narratives of just like of of how we're supposed to yeah not fit like fit into boxes I suppose Mm. Mm. um and they're very extremely extremely moralistic 
Yeah, um, and medicate the extremes. Medicate yeah. the ugly. Medicate the dark. Yeah, you know, like put it away. And we and we were talking something about you know not having kind of rituals to cope with change, to cope with loss, you know, um, and how we how we just are humans, right? And yeah, use the word wonky again. I like um, being wonky. I love being wonky too. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is. I mean, and, and I guess you know, in terms of how have I got out of that? I mean, mm. I, you know, I I will forever need, you know, be connected to therapy. I don't go to therapy at the moment. I haven't been for about sort of about seven, eight months or something, but I definitely will probably do that at some point. Mm. Um, again, um, I am fine to take medication, you know. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, I'm on antidepressants as well. Yeah you know and each each their own but that's something that that Mm. helps me and again that's the real kind of thing that we're told we just we should sort it out and fix it and it's like well actually maybe we could just live and that's that and that thing in the the sober thing as well of like you know what that's that thing that that perfectionist thing that once you get sober you know you shouldn't be doing you should be like suddenly really you know do i you know i was like i went to my doctor i was like and he was like um Okay, we need to review your prescription. I was like, I, you have no idea how much yoga I do. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you can't yoga yourself out of the shit that life throws at you. Yeah, you need of, of, have, like... of having a, a, you know, a, a lack of serotonin in your brain. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. You know, it's like saying to someone that's got diabetes, it's like, yeah, you know, can true. you just like yeah healthy food yourself out of having an mm. I- insulin deficiency it's yeah just, exactly it's nonsense but it's these narratives that we have around this yeah. and ourselves and mental health and you know but I think yeah I think certainly for me like not drinking makes my life manageable mm. yeah as a fundamental starting point mm. and then and then from there for me it's been very much about um a lot I mean a lot a lot a lot a lot of healing shame um and forgiveness and a lot of just and letting go of yeah of just like I don't uh, just a perfectionism I suppose you know I'm just it's I am who I am and that's like mm. I'm fine with that and I definitely was trying to be someone else most of my life Mm. um but yeah I do think you're right having a purpose like having something that you care about and having a cat (laughs) so well it is isn't it so important those connections those that connectivity and relational stuff and they're brilliant they're funny animals are funny like I love my chickens but I go out there and it's all quiet and I go and then they'll go to me back and I love them I'm like all right ladies <laughs> or the two ladies and the one possibly boy but we, we don't we don't know yet um but I was going to say something else as well I was going to say yeah that alcohol has definitely that makes my life manageable and that well alcohol gives- makes your life manageable <laughs> taking alcohol out I think stopping drinking alcohol makes yeah. it it gives me that base that fundamental tool to then has given me that space to deal with my neurodiverse mind 
and my dysregulated nervous system that came from a bit of trauma. It helps me manage a stressful life and being a mum like we, like, you know, all the ups and downs of parenting. And I just, you know, all of those pieces. But but it is, and, and that's what's so brilliant about what you brought to me and what your your idea for this bloody podcast was and then the stuff coming out of that is that linking the mental health piece with the alcohol piece which is like I just feel like you were such a pioneer in that like really were and it's enabled me to talk about my own journey in a way that I wasn't I was like no I'm all right all right thank you yeah but again it's it's that interesting one isn't it it's like it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be either or it can be and it's like it's it's not just because there's something wrong with me and you know and so therefore like I should keep alcohol in I just fix myself and then like drink it's both it's like alcohol is a dirty drug and I'm a little bit fragile <laughs> you know yeah, so it's like yeah it's just you know we're, we're they're both part of the story you know part of the story and it's just like and and that's it's just keeping hold of that I suppose and I do really think it's the, the hardest thing is to make the decision mm-hmm. And knowing that from from smoking, you know, I absolutely love smoking. I was a prop. We talk about this sometimes, and you know, I was talking about the other day when I was fantasizing. You were fantasizing. I was like, "You're not actually going to smoke, though." You were like, "Maybe I could just." I was like, "No, dude." But like, yeah, it, it was so much of kind of identity, and you know, and it is. It's hard to say, but it's that you can talk the talk as much as you want but if there's part of you deep down inside that hasn't made that decision then it's still going to be a battle but it's like when you make that decision it's just like no matter what I'm not mm. going to drink like no matter what I'm not going to smoke like I'm not going to break that chain because like I don't want to go through that again then it's really easy isn't it because then you just like have to find other ways you just have to yeah if it's if it's off if it's off the menu then you just you have to find other ways and I do think there was that you know I don't think so I think people experience it in different ways as well so like for me I was always waiting for an emotional confirmation if I feel like it will be I I will really feel like stopping and once you can separate that out and you know there is a bit of kind of awareness around that isn't there of like you uh, and and I'll be absolutely confident and then managing those triggers and so the confidence kind of comes later so don't worry I'd say you know you don't necessarily have to feel like you you've got it and it's watertight it's just going I'm just going to do it. They just, just got to get doing skin. that. Yeah. Got to get skin again and link those days together. Yeah. And then see what comes yeah. Up. And, and I do think that it's like, it's whatever's manageable to you. It's like, it's that making that, but it could just be like for one, one day, just like, right. I'm 100% not doing that today. And then the next day you make that same strong mm-hmm. decision. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, I never 
Well, I never did. Should probably go now. It's been yeah. Have we done this in a long one? About an hour. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. So, what's um, your tip of the day and reason to love sober? My tip of the day is even if you like can't, even if you like have never done before, I really do recommend doing some kind of meditative kind of practice but like I tend to need to rock so like make it like really really comfy really really cozy allow yourself to move when you do it and just get a little bit curious you know because I think it it's been such a revelation to me just how much it can calm things Mm. I would say just try try and give it a go i mean there is the trauma piece as well that if you have severe trauma lucky you know you might need to i think you know i think you know whether it's accessible to you or not just like trust your gut if you're like "Mm, mm, mm, you can try by just lying down for a moment and looking at nice things out of the window and having a bolster and a blanket over you and see if you can just kind of have a sigh, have a little lie down and look out the window. I mean, that might be that might be enough, you know. Yeah. But that to me is kind of a meditative practice, you know. That's a stopping, yeah. permission to pause, right? Permission to pause. Yeah. Um, my reason to love sober is, um, God, it's just all of this, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, my reason to love sober is that it is the fundamental. I've said this before, but my fundamental piece of self care and survival that's allowed. Um, any other healing to occur and actually beyond the healing is just that fucking love it despite all the stuff we're talking about i feel bloody great <laughs> what about you um tip of the day well, throughout this, I have been playing with blue tack. Well, it's actually white tack in France. Ooh, <laughs> ooh la la. Um, but it's really helped to have this conversation, um, to have something to, yeah, just it's like a stress ball, I suppose, to have something to play with with my hands. So don't, you know, if there are uncomfortable moments, um, and I do think sometimes people drink because they want or smoke or any kind of behaviors because they don't know what to do with their hands mm. or like part of the breaking, breaking the habit is to have something to do with your hands. So buy yourself some blue tack or if you want to go continental, buy some white tack. Um, Blog. Wire. <laughs> yes. My Franklin. Yeah. So um, and my reason to love sober, that was quite possibly the most random tip I think I've ever given um my reason to love sober is ah just yes um it's the it's the fun because I mean all of this is like the you know yeah there is the deep and darks but I just never realized that I'd be so silly again in my life like I was just I got so serious um and the only way that I had fun was drinking and now it's like I'm just a bit of a knob most of the time much to the disgruntlement of my children you know I have become that that mum where they're like 
mum like that which is just the best place that's where you want to live isn't it in that annoying place (laughs) and also it was like I was doing I was chuckling to myself like when I was doing my puzzle or something and I had my like um headphones on but I wasn't listening to anything they were just like turned on so I couldn't hear the I was just pissing and then I was going to do a post on Instagram about it and I was just pissing myself that like I literally don't care like I was such a ridiculous like wanted to be cool I mean I was just such a dick in that sense when I was a teenager you know like couldn't possibly listen to chart music like really into like alternative stuff and you know DJs and looking for stuff that was like anything that was like not not mainstream you know and I was laughing that I was gonna post out you know on social media about how much fun I was having doing a puzzle but (laughs) that's so rebellious though just love it yeah doing a jigsaw puzzle (laughs) 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 Uh, and the best thing is it's just like I I literally do think I'm really cool now (laughs) so I'm like yeah but you don't know yeah but you think you're cool like still doing cocaine and whatever but you're just like I'm the cool (laughs) Yeah, me and my puzzle. I like fun. I fundamentally kiss, do believe kiss that. My ass. Yeah, yeah. Kiss my, kiss my ass. Drugs and alcohol. Like, yeah. Give me a puzzle any day. Anyway. Yeah. All right, dude. Nice. To but yeah, you. I mean, it is a big thing. It is a serious subject. So if you are struggling, then reach out. And yeah. you know, there's loads and loads on social media about mental health this week. Uh, obviously with lockdown you know it is is pushing people to immeasurable kind of stress and anxiety levels so you're not alone don't you know yeah and you're not and part of it as well I know I was thinking about because it was very important wasn't it like I know for me to do to do love sober is it's kind of aspirational and rebrand of sobriety and like being all like positive which it is it's all of those things but part of this is you know if you click if you go on our site you'll see us and our pairs of sunglasses or having loads of makeup with nice lighting well it was actually just on the beach which <laughs> taken Take by your daughter but it yeah. like studio lighting but you know underneath all that you know we do you know it's not just loads of you know woohoo you know isn't it fabulous like you know this this we've all got our journeys and we've all got our stories so you can reach out and know that it's okay to have that and it's okay to struggle and you know it's okay to be wonky it's okay to be wonky and the wonky you are the more welcome you <laughs> <in my book. laughs> no straight or wonky it's fine it's all good. It's all i think good. we just need to say goodbye <laughs> Okay, so if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, obviously it is Alcohol Awareness Week, so you can go to the fabulous alcoholchange.org.uk and they have got lots of resources, um, you know, on there and their focus is very much this link with mental health. So, you know, it is a thing, it is a big thing, so check them out for agencies of local support or send up a flare to the sober community, whatever that may be, whichever group you vibe with, and don't feel like you're alone, you're not and uh, we send you lots of love and we'll see you next week for more chat.